I'd love to ask a couple questions as we're getting started before we, we read, um, before we get into the text that was already read for us. I would love to ask a question for us to think about, and feel free to, to share an answer, shout out an answer. Describe a family without a father. I know that can be a difficult question, but here, describe a family without a father. Maybe somebody shares something. Sad. Okay. Anything else? Struggling. Struggling. Yeah. Broken. Lost. Lost. Often poor. Often poor. Here's a related question. Describe a mentee without a mentor. Floundering. <laughs> okay. Lost. Yeah. Confused. Okay. Confused. Yep. Bootstraps. <laughs> All right, here's a, another similar question. Describe a culture. It could be anywhere. Family, church, workplace. Describe a culture without accountability. Stressful. Stressful. Okay, anything else? Scary. Yeah. We need, families need fathers, don't they? Families need mothers, for that matter. Family, families need parents, leadership. Um, mentees need mentors. If you have a skill that you're trying to learn, you need to, to learn from someone who is more experienced than you, who knows the skills that you don't yet have, that you want to have. And if you want to make progress and grow in any place, in any circumstance, you need someone to hold you accountable um, to that. So um, as was said, like Timothy, uh, as, uh, or, yeah, most disciples have countless guides, but not many spiritual fathers who model and hold accountable and empower to full maturity. That's where we're headed this morning. So if you feel um, a need in any of those areas, I'm hoping God's word would help point us in the right direction and empower us in the right direction. So I think we have a few slides that we can go ahead and advance. I might not give you cues for all of them. Go ahead. I think we just, can we advance to the next few? There we go. There we go. Yep. Check. We did it. Great. Very good. All right. So um, I, I'm going to read for us 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21, just to get it in our, our heads and hearts again. So if you have, have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. It was already read, but I'd like to read it again. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21. I'll be reading out of the ESV. All right, verse 14, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. All right, I, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, Paul says, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved 
and faithful child in the Lord to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Okay. Love these words from Paul. So I want to look at three things. It wouldn't be a sermon if there weren't three points, right? Um, Three things that Paul is telling the church at Corinth that are very relevant and and very needed um, in our church culture today and our secular culture today. The first thing I want us to see is disciples need fathering, okay? Go ahead and advance that next slide. Yeah, disciples need fathering. We're just going to unpack this a little bit. And The first thing we see, verse 14, fathers don't shame, okay? A, a good father, a healthy father, doesn't shame his kids. Verse 14, the first part, is, Paul writes, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, okay? It's very easy. You know the verse, fathers don't exasperate your children's? It's very easy as a father. I've been around a little longer than my kids, and so I kind of know some things they don't know. I can do some things that they can't do. And so when I see them not knowing the things that I know or not doing the things that I I can do, I can pretty easily shame them. Say, come on, don't you know better? Can't you you do that? It's very tempting, but a healthy father, like our Father God, does not take that easy kind of – self-appeasing, you know, shortcut of just making yourself feel better and saying something harsh or mean. No, a father is patient, but a father does correct. So that's the second thing we see, that fathers admonish. He, he, he doesn't, Paul says, uh, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. So there is this admonishing, this encouraging and correcting in the right direction. Fathers don't just let their kids do whatever uh, you know, that without accountability, right? They admonish, they correct in the right direction. So there is challenge, pushing, stretching. Fathers also love. Fathers love. The rest of the verse, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Okay, my beloved children. Paul refers to those that he is leading as his beloved children. He thinks of them as children. He thinks of himself as a spiritual father to those in, in the church at Corinth. And that not, yeah, we'll get into that in a second. So uh, the, the fourth thing we see here, fathers are rare. Fathers are rare. You see verse 15, for though you have countless guides or guardians, depending on your translation, in Christ, you do not have many fathers. How many fathers do each of us have here in the room? compared to all the countless influences that we've had over the years, right? Fathers are rare. Those that take us along, alongside, even in the church, fathers are rare. Those that covenant with you and take you alongside to walk with you, to make a choice. I'm going to be with you, to correct you, to, to love you. And then uh, lastly, we see father's covenant. It's a strong word. Father's covenant, verse 15, the rest of the verse but though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father through the gospel, in Christ Jesus, through the gospel. 
Paul committed. He covenanted. He made the decision. He drew the line in the sand. He, he made the, the promise to continue to be um, a father to this church. Now, he passed off the, the leadership, as he often did, to, to elders, but he continued to be that, that father figure of, of spiritual authority and influence. I remember um, we went around in our house church meeting last, last night. Um, a few of us were just walking. I, I don't know. The first person who introduced themselves just shared a story about how they met me, and then everyone else kind of followed that example of how they met me, and, and it got to Will. Will said, I met my dad in the hospital. And it got me thinking. Um, I remember that that moment very vividly. Any any parents in the room, you know that moment that I'm talking about. And it's interesting. Um, with the other two kids, it was just a blur and craziness and C-sections and emergency and, and frustration. There is something special about that first child. I remember the doctor, the nurse, someone, someone handed me little Will, and he looked at me with this face, and I'm sure I'm maybe projecting and imagining, you know, a lot of this, but it seemed like he was looking at me like, what is happening? Where am I? What's going on? Who are you? I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to guide me. I need somebody to love me, and I just sense this, like, this need. And this like huge, deep, strong desire, I think God just puts in the heart of parents, a strong desire, like, of just like reassurance. Like, I just, like, I was talking to him. He didn't understand, of course. I'm just, I'm talking to him. I'm praying for him. I, I'm, I'm basically saying things like, buddy, I'm going to tell you everything I know. And I'm going to love you with all the love that is in my heart. And I want you to exceed me in every way. You know, I just want to just pour myself out for this, this little guy. <clears throat> because I know that Will is going to have a lot of teachers that come and go in his life. He's going to have some older friends. He has some older cousins that he looks up to. He has uncles and aunts. He has a lot of leaders that he can look to and follow, but he doesn't have many fathers. And that influence, that imprint, that lifelong <clears throat> impact, that a father can have on a, on a child. I, I, I bear that. I feel that. And I'm looking at my own life. I'm thinking of uh, the, the influences and the, the role models that I looked up to. I don't know that any of them had the impact that my father had on my life. And even today, I'm looking around at my spiritual influences, and it's a very short list of those who are willing to, to, to be that father figure and that, that parental uh, spiritual guide to me. But yeah, we, disciples need fathering. Okay? We all agree with that? Yeah. Let's look at the next point. Disciples need modeling. Okay? Disciples need modeling. It's a part of fathering, mothering, parenting, right? I'm speaking of fathering kind of in a gender-neutral term. Um, disciples need modeling. Modeling is crucial. We see that. Why, where do we see Paul talking about um, modeling being crucial? Verse 16, Paul says, I urge you then. When the Apostle Paul says, I urge you, we should pay attention. When the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul and telling us, I urge you, we should pay attention to what he says. So modeling is crucial. If you don't model, you don't get there. 
Um, second thing we see, modeling is intimate. Modeling is intimate. Where do we see that? The rest of the verse. I urge you then, what is he urging? Be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Paul is opening his life. He's saying, here I am. I'm an open book. Everything you see here, imitate me. Now, was Paul perfect? No. Did, did he have um, some rough edges? And did he have some ways that he was stumbling as he was following Christ? Of course, like, like all of us do. And so it's very intimate. You're, letting, you're taking a risk when you say to somebody else, follow me. That means follow me in, in some of my examples. And it's very humbling as a parent to see your kids picking up your, your, your negative habits and, and the things that you don't wish that you were passing on. You see uh, the reflection in the mirror a little bit. But modeling is intimate. You're letting people close. You're letting yourself be known and them knowing you. Third thing we see, modeling preserves the original Okay, modeling preserves the original, verse 17. Paul writes, that is why I sent you Timothy. He's sending Timothy to the church at Corinth. Uh, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. So think about the copies, the original and the copies that are being passed down. The ways of Christ is the original, who Jesus is. And that was passed on to Paul, right? Really, it was passed on to the disciples, which was passed on to Barnabas, which is passed on to Paul, which is now passed on to Timothy, which is now passed on to the church at Corinth. But the beauty of modeling is as we are making disciples, you know, if you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, it, uh, the original tends to, to lose its, um, you know, like a, a, the ink starts to fade. But if we keep making copies off of the original, it's a great copy every time. So the beauty of modeling, Paul is saying, be imitators of me and follow me as I am following Christ. We're, the ways of Christ are the original that we're all looking to. But we're seeing an example of what the ways of Christ look like in each person that we're, that we're seeing, right? So modeling uh, in, in, the way of, in the kingdom of God is able to preserve the original in a miraculous way. And then modeling multiplies. When you model um, in, a, in a discipling context, man, modeling multiplies. So the rest of that verse, verse 17, it says, As I teach them everywhere in every church, as Paul is teaching the ways of Christ everywhere in every church. Think about it. Paul is able, you, you see the multiplication. Jesus has uh, the 12. You could even argue he has the three, and they had three. They, that's the 12. Then that was multiplied to the 70, you know, that was multiplied to the 120. It continues to multiply until thousands were added. And then Paul goes on his three missionary journeys. Churches are planted all over the place. Even in just a place like uh, Ephesus, two million people hear the word of God in two years. So there's just this multiplication of disciples, making disciples, making disciples. When you model something to someone else, they can model it to others, and they can model it to others, and modeling multiplies. Uh, even on the way here, we're in the car, and, and Everett, we call him our little parrot. He just copies us everything that we say, for good or for bad, and he waits for the right time until we have you know company over or something, and he says the, the things we don't want him to copy in front of everyone. Um, I went on a, a trip to Nepal in 2017, and I was able to see something modeled 
that frankly I had never seen before. I saw <clears throat> from all my church contacts and, and everything that I'd been a part of, I saw for the first time in a, in a, in a cross-cultural context, disciples making disciples making disciples, a culture of just multiplying healthy Christ-like discipleship. And churches multiplying churches multiplying churches. And I, I came back from that trip. It, when I saw it, it just awakened something. And I think the beauty was what I had read about in the word, I, I hadn't seen in the flesh in real life. What I read about in books and, and heard, heard stories about, I just hadn't seen for myself. But when I saw it modeled, something awakened in me. And I see the same thing in, in the kids. When, when they see somebody, when they see their older brother or sister riding a bike, it, all, it, all it takes is just seeing it modeled. Like, ooh, I want to do that. And it awakens something inside you. And then you have to assist them and, you know, and empower them, them to do it. Another example, there, I've got a, a friend. His name is Cameron. Um, and we, we started a huddle with him a few years ago. And we were just, Maggie and I, we were just really stumbling along trying to make disciples and start churches, help others start churches and multiply churches. And um, we just invited Cameron to just follow us as we're figuring it out. And um, it was mostly over Zoom. So our friend Cameron and, and his wife, uh, Brooke, that Meg was, was discipling, were not able really to see us model a lot <laughs> over Zoom. And that was a constant uh, issue. So we, we realized that. So we invited him to be a part of one of the house churches one day that we were, we were with. And um, we, he went out sharing the gospel with us. He saw it. He, he was a part of a church culture, you know, that, that was all about making disciples. He got to see it. He saw other people, not just my old, tired, familiar voice, but he saw, got new voices, new input, outside voices, and something clicked in him, something awakened in him when he saw it modeled. And there is some real magic to just seeing something modeled that awakens people. <clears throat> So the third thing we see, disciples need fathering. They need modeling. They also need accountability. I say they, we. We need accountability. Disciples need accountability. And Paul teaches us a few things about accountability. To, to show you my cards, sometimes as you're trying to think through of an outline with a sermon, like you're not sure what's the right word, what's the right idea. If you guys want to challenge this, Feel free. Maybe there's a better way to think about it. Um, but I think there's some accountability that Paul is talking about here. Uh, the first thing we see, accountability humbles. Okay? When you hold somebody accountable, they're humbled. So verse 18, Paul's saying, Some members of the Corinthian church are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. Meaning, some, some of the folks of the church thought, we're good. We don't need Paul anymore to come and check on us. Like we're we're okay. We've we we don't need the babysitting. Like we we're we've got it. I can do it. You know. Um, and what happens if you come and hold someone accountable who thinks that they don't need accountability? Often, what happens is the person realizes, oh yeah, maybe I'm not as ready as I thought. Maybe I needed a little more help than I thought. Maybe I didn't know as much as I thought. Maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. So accountability has a wonderful way of humbling us. And so Paul doesn't just want to, like on his missionary journeys, make disciples, start churches, and then leave forever and not have anything to do with it. No, no, he's writing this letter 
as a form of accountability. And he's saying, I want to come back and see you so that I can test and hold you accountable and see that you're maturing in the Lord as you should be, so that you're, the copies that are being made are uh, preserved from the ways of Christ, that it's not getting corrupted along the way, right? <clears throat> Second thing we see, accountability exposes, right? Um, accountability exposes the reality of how we're doing. Um, so verse, verses 19 and 20, but I will come to you soon, Paul says, if the Lord wills, and I will find out. That's what I mean by expose. You get found out. I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. If you're holding someone accountable, their power or their lack thereof is exposed. The fruit or the lack thereof is exposed. The, the, the maturity is exposed. The, the skill is exposed. Whatever it is, it's being exposed. All you have to do is have a performance review at, at, the, at the office, and then you realize um, accountability exposes you. Accountability can humble you. Accountability also invites. Okay? Accountability invites. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 21. What do you wish, Paul says. He's inviting them into a choice. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? When you hold someone accountable, you know, we can, we can do this the, the, the hard way or the easy way. You can learn this the hard way or the easy way. I could be good cop, bad cop, okay? But the reality is a spiritual father, a spiritual leader is able to take somebody along and say, look, I am committed to ensuring that you are growing and becoming more like Jesus. And if you submit to that, if, you're, if you play along well, if you're teachable and humble, if you're willing to accept that accountability, it's, it's going to go great. It won't be easy, but it'll be, it'll be good. I'll come to you with love and gentleness. But if you don't accept that, it will be harder. <laughs> it will be frustrating. So we have some more family examples. I'm sorry if you're tired of the family examples. We are in the throes of young family life and rhythms, um, and it is a message about fathering. So if you can bear with me for a few more um, <clears throat> around the dinner table, we had, we've, we've had some problems with getting up from the seat and falling out of the chair and other number of, of antics. And so Meg had a great idea. She said, all right, we're going to have a three strike rule. If you get up from your seat and you don't have a good reason or, you know, any number of that, you say something inappropriate. You do something inappropriate that I won't mention in such wonderful company, et cetera, um, you get a strike. And three strikes, you will be excused from the table with no dinner and in bed for the rest of the day. So the kids, they, they really paid attention to, uh, to this rule. You know, it, it humbled them. It exposed them. And we invited them to a choice. You, you can have one or the other. And, and man, hey, kids, what do you think? Around the dinner table, how, how's it been going? Are you guys, has our behavior improving? I think you guys have been amazing. I think they've, they've done an amazing job. In our, in our church meetings, it's really important to us um, that we don't just talk, but that we are empowered and that we're filled, just like that Holy Spirit song is asking and praying God for praying to and asking the Lord for power 
And, and inevitably, at some point in the gathering, normally at multiple points, we're asking, did you obey what we talked about last week? And how did it go? And sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. But in, inevitably, that's how it is. All of us, we, there is some success and some failure along the way, but, but there is progress. So at the, the beginning of every gathering, we look back to see um, how are we doing? Are, we're holding accountable. You know, and it's loving. It's grace-filled. It's not legalistic. We're just encouraging for, o, o, toward obedience, just like Paul is doing here. And at the end of every gathering, we, we say, well, what is God asking us to do this week? What is God asking us to do next? So a culture of accountability. So in essence, just to summarize these three points, the church should be family with spiritual parents, with modeling that happens, that raises up next generations, that holds accountable with discipline so that generations continue and, and families just multiply and multiply. That's, what, that's the dominant metaphor that we see throughout Scripture. We are children of God. He is our Father, and we are a family together. Uh, church is um, not less than a school, but it's not, it's not just a school. You, you learn things. We, we should teach each other, instruct one another. Um, it's not just a counseling center. It, it shouldn't be less than that. We, we should counsel each other and, and mentor and help each other. But it's not just that. It's, it's not a business, um, right? There, there is accountability. Uh, you know, the gospel, I guess you could think of it as a product that, you know, and we have salespeople, you know. But, but look, it's a family. These metaphors break down. It's a family. Um, so let's think about where are the themes of fathering, modeling, and accountability in the big story of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, this, this redemptive story. Think about this. We go through a few categories here. God, sin, Christ, response. What we see in, in God, our Father brought us into this world, fathering. Our Father made us in his image so we could imitate him, right? Modeling. He gave us commands and promised blessings if we delayed, or sorry, obeyed, or, or curses if we disobeyed. There's accountability. And sin, we have all disobeyed our Father. We didn't follow his example that he modeled, and so we received the curse rather than the blessing. That's everyone on the planet with no exception. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the good news the Father sent the Son. Jesus lost his Father on the cross for us so that we could be restored to our Father. Is that good news? And for those of us, all of us in the room, none of us have had a perfect upbringing with a perfect Father, and there is a need to have that perfect Father. And we have one in our Father God that Jesus bought for us on the cross. Jesus lived the perfect life that we can never live. He died as the ultimate example to make us into little examples worth imitating. We can never perfectly follow Jesus, but he gives us the power to follow him imperfectly here on earth. And one day we will follow him, his example perfectly when sin and death are taken away. Jesus received our curse so that we could receive his blessing. And our response, God, sin, Christ's response, I, we invi I invite you, receive the Father's love as a child of God this morning. And father others, mother others, spiritually parent 
others. Secondly, follow his example and model for others to imitate. And thirdly, receive his blessing and repent of sin as he holds you accountable and me accountable. Receive his blessing, repent of sin, and then hold others accountable so they can receive his blessing and repent of sin so that it would continue. So as we begin to, to wrap up, I have some questions for us. I think we have them on the, the screen here. First question is, who are you fathering? Who, who are you be spiritually guiding? To whom are you modeling? To whom are you modeling? And who are you holding accountable? I'd love for us to think about that for a few moments. You know, it's, it's really difficult to find a spiritual father. Um, and I think that was a, I think, I think that's, that's a, a very good excuse as to, well, I don't know really how to father someone or to disciple someone. I, I think we, it, it has to be modeled. But I guess my challenge for you is, will you make it a priority to pray and ask God to give you a spiritual father, if you don't have one, and to search until you find one. If you don't have that someone in that role in your life, will you make it a priority? Ask God to find one. It is so much easier to be a guide than a father. You know, when you watch someone else's pet for a day or two, or you could just pet someone's little dog on, on the sidewalk and enjoy it so much, but you don't have to take him or her home to feed him, care for him, you know, when you've watched someone else's kids babysitting or something, grandparents, it's great to spoil those kids and send them right back home, right? It's a lot easier to be a guide than a father. And it's the same in the church. It's a lot easier to give someone advice, but to not go in deep and to not fully expose yourself and covenant and bring each other close and say, would you follow me? Can I follow you to have that, that relationship? So are you willing to pour yourself out and com completely and, and until that person exceeds you, until that person is better than you, more mature than you? It's also embarrassing to model as you make mistakes. Are you willing to be embarrassed and let someone in as you stumble in the right direction? sometimes in the wrong direction. Are you willing to ask someone to stumble along with you? That's the invitation. Paul was stumbling, but he, he, he got up and he kept going. The Lord kept picking him up. You, you will be rejected. Um, you do this enough, you will, you will be rejected as you hold someone accountable. They won't always appreciate that rejection. They won't always be received with love and gentleness and submission. Are you willing to be rejected as you challenge people and hold them accountable? Are you willing to say t tough things, hard things that nobody else is willing to say, like Paul was willing to, to say to the, the church at Corinth? That's the invitation. That's the call. That's the challenge that we have to face. Now, let's imagine, what, what would it be like if just some of us in the room today accepted that call? and said yes to that challenge. And I pray many of us already have accepted that call and already enduring that challenge. I know that to be true. 
this is what happens. As a spiritual father, you get the blessing of seeing God use you and sometimes bypass you <laughs> um, despite your mistakes to transform someone to, be, to become more like Jesus. What a blessing. As you model, you get to awaken others to do things they've never done before. And how amazing is it to see people just get awakened? As you hold accountable, you get to rescue people from a cozy life without challenge, without growth, to see growth, to see transformation, to see progress. Here's a few verses. I think we have them on the screen just to hopefully awaken some of our spiritual imagination here. Proverbs 17, 6. I love this verse. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. Do we, do we have any grandparents in the room? Is that verse true? I saw a hand really shoot up back there. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. It's glorious what God does in the family of God, in the, the church family. Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How much pride, the good kind of pride, how much encouragement is it to see children grow up and not depart from the path that you long for them to, to go on? Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for. Do you hear Paul's words? My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. It is nice to have people that you can describe as joy, your joy, your crown that you have been investing in, and God is using you to transform them and send them off to do thing, greater things than you're doing. It humbles you, but it makes you grateful. Third John 1.4. This should be familiar to us. It's a strong word. This is a superlative statement from John here. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. If anybody wants to experience no greater joy the same joy that, that John is talking about, spiritually, father, parent, model, hold accountable, and you will experience this no greater joy. Let me leave you with one final verse. Well, before I do, I was talking to my friend Cameron over the phone. I just, Meg was in the room, and I was just on the verge of tears with him. I was just trying to encourage him. I was saying, Cameron, like... You are a better evangelist than me. You're, you're, he's got a full-time job. We're, we're in full-time ministry right now. He's doing better than us. <laughs> it's humbling. I told him what, one, of, one of the people that he, he led to the Lord came to one of our, our trainings um, of, a few days ago. And I was just trying to encourage him. Just some of her answers. I thought she was really leading the way in a room full of leaders this newly baptized woman, new to the faith, seemed closer to the Lord and, and more faithful and obedient than many of the leaders in the room who had been in the church for a long time. And I was just trying to encourage Cameron, like, you are exceeding me, and I'm so proud, and it's, it's beautiful. And I, I'm experiencing that no greater joy with Cameron. So here, here's a, a final verse for us. Colossians 1, 28 to 29 
This is becoming one of my favorite verses. Him, Jesus, we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why do we do this? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That original that we're trying to preserve. For this I toil, he says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That word toil, it means to work to the point of exhaustion. Because it's worth it. Parenting is exhausting. But it's worth it. That word struggling, it it means to agonize. It's really hard. But it's worth it. And we're inviting you to that this morning. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for being the perfect father, for raising up a strong son so that he could be a father to his disciples and so they could continue. God, we thank you for what you are doing in, in this church, God, how you are advancing the kingdom in our lives and those that are being reached through this church. God, I just pray for generations and generations and generations of disciples and churches from the people in this room, seeds planted and seeds watered, that you would give growth. Jesus, that you would build your church so that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, but use the little rocks like Peter, like all of us here. God, would you, would you bless our stumbling obedience? God, would you even bless our disobedience? Would you use that to what we and others mean for evil? Would you turn it around and mean it for good? God, would you awaken us so that we could awaken others? Would you model to us so that we can model to others? Would you hold us accountable um, so that we can hold others accountable? Raise up fathers in this church, in, in this culture, in this part of the world, so that God, you can do um, greater things that we could think or imagine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.